Portland. KBOO Community Radio holds open meetings concerning the operations and programming of KBOO in accordance with the requirements of the Communications Act of 1934 and certification requirements of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Information about KBOO Community Radio's open meeting policy is available at our website at kboo.fm. Due to the temporary closure of in-station activity at KBOO, board meetings will be conducted online via public video conferencing unless otherwise noted. A public link and phone number to attend the meetings are available on our website. The KBOO Board of Directors meets the fourth Monday of the month starting at 6 p.m. Please visit our website at kboo.fm to verify if a meeting is being held. Welcome to Labor Radio on KBOO Portland. I am Michael Cathcart. And I'm Elliot Gilland. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, just quickly before we jump into our show, we would like to give a special thanks and shout out to the Labor Radio Podcast Network for hosting podcasted versions of our show each month. Be sure to check that out at laborradionetwork.org. Um, and yeah, so now we're going to be discussing Amazon, uh, the mega retailer uh, that we do cover a lot on this show. Um, just a few days before Amazon's October Prime Day mega sales event, three of the company's warehouse and fulfillment centers caught fire uh, in the same week, which endangered the lives of hundreds of workers. Uh, at the HSV1 Fulfillment Center just outside of Huntsville, Alabama, uh, that place caught fire on the evening of Monday, October 3rd, and that was actually the second time in two weeks that the fire had broken out in that same facility. Um, that same evening, a cardboard compactor on the warehouse floor of the JFK 8 facility in Staten Island, New York, also caught fire. And listeners may remember that back in April, workers at this site won a historic vote to become the first ever unionized Amazon warehouse. Uh, it was a huge event, and we actually did cover it on this show. Uh, and two days after that, another cardboard compactor set ablaze, this time at, an a at the ALB-1 Fulfillment Center just outside of Albany, New York. And this fire occurred less than 10 days before a union election was set to be held at that facility. Um, shortly after the fire broke out in Staten Island, 650 employees at the JFK-8 facility stopped working, and more than 100 workers demanded to be sent home with pay due to uh, health and safety concerns which, you know, seemed fairly reasonable if your workplace catches on fire. Um, and, you know, many of those workers there complained that the warehouse, in fact, smelled of smoke and that they couldn't breathe. They had trouble breathing inside. You know, they're all, you know there, there are some doors, but it's a large enclosed facility, and so the smoke definitely lingered even after the fire was put out. Um, you know, one of the workers at that facility even had to be transported to the hospital for smoke inhalation issues. Uh, the workers at that facility then, you know, after doing a work stoppage, a lot of the, most of them marched to the offices of the Amazon managers in that facility and held a sit-down strike to demand, uh, to press their demands to management. And those demands included that the company finally uh, recognize their union, which management has still refused to do. They refused to recognize the Amazon labor union, which won the historic vote back in April. And so it's been six months since they've won that vote, and workers there, you know, have have still yet to be recognized as uh, organized union workers with the Amazon Labor Union, or the ALU. 
Uh, and actually, last month, a judge with the National Labor Relations Board found that Amazon had no grounds in contesting the union election results. So both legally and reasonably, they should be recognizing that union, and yet they have continued to obfuscate and, and have failed to, to do so. Uh, so those workers found this moment as the right time to press that case and to argue that management should, in fact, begin recognizing them as organized, unionized workers there. Um, that is still yet to be seen whether or not they will do that. Uh, on top of that, they also uh, demanded that there be raises that they, they receive that actually keep up with inflation, you know, actual cost of living versus just sort of, you know, a 1% raise or whatever it is that they get, if, you know, if that at all. And then on top of that, they also uh, asked that the company put workers' lives and safety before its profits, which is something that has, Amazon has uh, proven that it is unwilling to do at this, up to this point. Uh, so yeah, in, in response to this action taken by the workers, Amazon uh, suspended without pay as many as 80 of the workers who engaged in that protest, uh, a move that labor leaders are calling a clear act of anti-union retaliation. And, you know, 10 of those workers that were suspended were, in fact, organizers with the ALU, including almost all of the, the, the union's executive board. Um, the union being really only representing workers at that facility, so it would make sense that a lot of the workers there were, in fact, part of the executive board of that union. Uh, as, as the ALU has argued, uh, the company's actions were clearly meant to have a broad chilling effect on the organizing campaigns that they're running at other facilities around the country, uh, and really specifically probably targeted at the Albany workers uh, who are currently right now holding a union vote. Um, and that is also the facility that, that also experienced the fire uh, in, that, in that same week. Um, and so, yeah, the union has, uh, in response to this, union has filed an unfair labor practice charge with the NLRB. So we will see how that, how that proceeds, and we'll keep up to date on that as more information comes out about that specific um, case. But the, the lawyer for the, the union, the ALU, uh, whose name is Seth Goldstein, he called the punishment of the Staten Island employees a, quote, violation of workers' rights to join in a collective action about the terms and conditions of their employment. Seems pretty straightforward. Uh, and he continued by saying that the workers did not feel safe going back to work. Uh, they were engaged in, um, they were in, uh, engaging in rights that have been protected for 85 years under the National Labor Relations Act. Um, and Goldstein, the lawyer, has also argued that it is unjust for the company to suspend multiple workers uh, for not returning to um, for not returning to work after the fire, when there were several videos of the manager, their manager in that facility, telling them, you know, that and telling the gathered workers there that quote, if you feel unsafe, please leave. Your time will be addressed. Which you know, who knows what that means? Your time will be addressed, but. If your manager is saying, if you're unsafe here, if you feel unsafe, you should leave, then that seems pretty pretty clear and, you know, cut and dry case of, all right, it's up to you. You do what you think is best for your personal health. And, you know, you would assume you wouldn't necessarily be punished for that or suspended without pay for doing that, for listening to your manager. Um, yeah, and so in a statement that was put out following the suspensions, the ALU, the, the union, argued that Amazon associates at the facility, the JFK 8 facility, had their lives placed uh, at risk 
and uh, this isn't the first time. You know, yes, uh, the the event that happened, the fire there, and the health risk from that fire is but one example of why they voted to form a union, uh, and so that they could have a real voice on crucial issues which impact all of the associates every single day. The uh, so the union themselves, they are you know they're absolutely right in saying that these fires were not merely isolated incidents. You know, none of the fires were were just one-offs. They are, in fact, you know, part of a larger trend within the corporate culture at Amazon to neglect the health and safety protocols in order to maximize profits. I mean, that is something that we've seen time and time again, not only with fire issues, not only with, you know, health issues, but also with just sort of how they, they run their shifts and how they treat their employees. Um, and, you know, a pretty great example, a pretty prime example of that is that in after the fire, you know, while the fire was burning at the JFK facility, uh, rather than utilizing the emergency exits, workers there were directed by managers to uh, line up and exit through the main doors, a decision that ultimately slowed the evacuation process significantly because it forced all the workers, every single worker, to pass one by one through turnstiles and metal detectors, which is a process they would do normally under safe circumstances when leaving their shift. But you would think that while the facility is potentially going to catch on fire, you might want to just let everyone go outside and then you know regroup after that. But uh, you know Amazon is intent on making sure that no one walks out of the facility with any product or anything you know any contraband or anything like that. So even though there was a fire burning behind them, they made sure that all of the workers walk through that, that metal detector to make sure they weren't taking anything out with them as they emergency exited. Um, and, you know, this was just one of the many grievances that the workers cited when choosing to occupy the facility's management offices when they did that sit-down strike. This is one of the things they pointed to, to say like, hey, that was an unacceptable way that you treated us, and we are not going to just go back to work after that. And in fact, a lot of people, you know, both workers there, but also a lot of people online, once this information came out, uh, have been quick to draw comparisons between that event and the horrific Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire of 1911, which, if you're not familiar, that was a one of the most horrific and deadly industrial disasters in this country's history, uh, where basically a factory floor full of, of workers, mostly female workers, garment factory workers, were... Uh, were locked in there in into the facility the doors were locked and then there was a fire that caught you know something caught fire on the factory full floor and no one came to unlock the doors so they all burned uh because there was no emergency exits and the management didn't you know didn't trust them enough that they would just stay at work so they locked them in the facility and of course when a fire happened people couldn't get out and so that is you know a classic example of why there are emergency exits and fire protocols and, and things like that in workplaces and you know a lot of regulation came as a result of that instance but you know obviously we're seeing this same approach a similar approach to putting you know the the safeguarding of of proprietary issues you know or whatever it is like making sure workers are not leaving work uh, unannounced or anything like that over the safety of those people and being able to get people safely out of a building so, you know, history, history doesn't repeat, but it echoes, and that is definitely a similar uh, scenario here. So a lot of people pointing that out are not wrong to, to draw comparisons there. Um, and so, yeah, the workers that were present during the fire in Albany, you know, this is just another example of, of the sort of 
profits over <laughs> over safety uh, uh, culture that exists in the company. But um, a lot of the workers in Albany that were present during the fire that took place there um, also pointed out that a bunch of fire extinguishers were missing from the holders that you know the the wall holders that they should have been in within that facility while the fire was happening. You know, so that's just a pretty. I mean, I think the fire marshal would have a lot to say about that, but that's a pretty clear and cut case of, you know, neglecting safety requirements. Uh, I mean, I don't know what the, if that's a profit thing or if that's just sort of an overall managerial neglect issue, but still, that is a pretty egregious instance of them not taking workplace safety seriously. Um, and yeah, upon hearing the report that there were a bunch of missing fire extinguishers, the lawyer for the ALU said, quote, sadly, I'm not surprised because of all the worker safety violations. Oh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not surprised because of all the worker safety violations. Uh, the, company's focus, the company's focusing more on profits and union busting than safety of the facility and its workers. You know, pretty straightforward. Um, and, in fact, some of, uh, some of the workers in Albany were also, after the fire, were also questioned by human resources uh, as to whether the ALU president, Chris Smalls, uh, had actually come in and started the fire. You know, Chris Smalls, of course, uh, famous for organizing the facility in Staten Island. And these people, you know, the, re the human resources per people were asking if he had driven up from, from New York City up to Albany to start this fire in this facility. Uh, pretty outlandish, but at the same time, it's just par for the course for the way that they've treated the union and their the company's tactics towards busting the union that, that Chris Smalls is the face of and the president of. And so, you know, on top of all of this, you know, this all, all, all of the things that these workers at these different facilities have been complaining about uh, in, in the wake of these fires, that all echoes the complaints that we heard previously from workers at, at Amazon's uh, Edwardsville, Illinois warehouse that you may remember was destroyed by a tornado last year. Um, you know, six workers died in that facility after being threatened with termination if they left their shifts early in the middle of a tornado warning. Um, and many of the survivors from that disaster, that collapse, that warehouse collapse, complained that management had never run even so much as a, a fire drill with them. So they had no preparation for how to deal with such an emergency, and it showed because, you know, the, they were forced to stay at their posts and keep working even as a tornado barreled down on them and and then you know people actually lost their lives because they weren't able to evacuate properly or to find the right safety uh, you know the, the right places to, to stay within that facility as the tornado hit the, 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 the building yeah and you know we haven't talked about it too much here today but you know in the in the case of the tornado as well a lot of these warehouses are not constructed with safety kind of in mind right? right so when we were talking about that on the show that warehouse collapsed almost instantaneously as well yeah so uh most likely in the case of jfka in albany uh these places are probably not built with fire safety uh top of mind yeah and i think you know this is uh that's a, a great point because you know these facilities are full of all different types of you know, anything you could buy off Amazon would be yeah. in there. Yeah. Well, yeah, too, right? And obviously a fire is, is very different than a tornado. But in the case of the tornado as well, you know, so many kind of unsecured boxes yeah. and like things, you know, also cause huge problems. And there's tons of flammable materials, right, that are being transported all the time. So it's uh, a, a warehouse in particular these days uh, is not a place where 
you know, this stuff should be taken lightly. No, not at all. Yeah, I mean, you have cardboard compactors, but you also have all the boxes everywhere. Everything, you know, most half the stuff in there is probably flammable. And mm -hmm. in the case of that tornado, it all just becomes flying shrapnel and debris flying yeah. around. So, yeah. And then, of course, there's all the, the heavy machinery because they have a lot of those robotic, you know, items moving around. Yeah. yeah. Just does not seem like a safe environment. Even with, you know, all the safety protocols in place, it seems like a dangerous environment. And then as soon as you add some disaster element to it, a fire or a tornado or something like that, it just becomes, you know, a, a nightmare factory. Yeah, well, and also when half your workforce is seasonal, you know, one would imagine that training would be even more top of mind, right? Because you've got yeah. people coming in all the time who have no idea what's going on. Um, but, you know, obviously we've, we've seen time and time again that, you know, whether it's fire drills or things like this, this is just not stuff that management is being concerned with. It's all deliverability, timeline. Yeah. Uh, margins exactly yeah i mean that's sort of the name of the game and actually that that's a great point that you bring up that there is like seasonal transitions to this and and, and you know they should be every new crop of workers because they do have a high turnover should be probably running through these safety drills you know with every new crop of them but they obviously haven't been uh, and it's interesting because as we talked about at the top of the show these fires all took place you know, shortly before the start of Prime Day, which is Amazon's mega sales event. Um, they used to just have one a year. Now they're having, you know, seasonal ones or like maybe a couple a year. But this took place just before the October Prime Day celebration for Amazon that, that actually just ended the other day. Um, and we will get into that in just one moment. But quickly, if you are just tuning in, just joining us, this is Labor Radio. Uh, we have been discussing the series of fires that went off in uh, in separate Amazon facilities, all within this you know a day or two of each other, um, and sort of the the neglect on the company's part for safety protocols and for the the health and well being of their workforce. Um, and so yeah, as you know, this is Labor Radio. Thank you for joining us. But as we were just discussing, these fires all took place just before Prime Day, which you know is already a situation where they have to get more workers in the building. You know, increase the size of shifts. Um, so it just becomes a more dangerous environment, especially when not everyone there has been trained on, you know, safety issues or just how to properly evacuate or anything like that. There's just less experience amongst yeah. the workers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, that the, the Prime Day shopping holiday is uh, has already drawn scrutiny from OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, uh, after an Amazon worker uh, died of a heart attack in New Jersey during the Prime Day rush back in July. So just the most previous Prime Day to this one, there was already one death associated with the, the increased pace and uh, neglect for, for worker well-being that took place during that rush. Uh, and so this New Jersey facility worker died in July during the rush for Prime Day. Um, and, you know, in fact, the prevalence of unsafe working conditions has resulted in 34,000 Amazon worker injuries in the last year alone and four deaths within just one month this past summer. So, you know, I'm sure some of that had to do with the excessive heat that existed around, you know, this all around the country, but probably, but then that's another safety issue. You know, if you're inside these giant warehouses and there isn't proper cooling met methods for, for workers, that's unsafe. But also all these other things, you know, the, the pace of, of work that, that these workers are expected to work mm -hmm. at, all that stuff leads to exhaustion and, and, and safety issues. Um, and so, yeah, of, of course, you know, all of this provides 
you know, all this points Amazon workers uh, towards yet more reasons to support the ongoing uh, unionization drive by the ALU. Um, and so it's unsurprising that, that workers at facilities around the country have been trying to organize, you know, doing organizing drives within their facilities because this is not an isolated incident. It's not just something that you see at one individual f facility. It is ubiquitous throughout the way that the corporation runs its Yeah, if anything, workers. it's ramping up. Yeah. And actually, I think, you know, on, on top of all that, like, you know, during the, the excessive heat this summer, not only were the... Uh, the not only were the, the warehouse workers, you know, having trouble with, with heat, but also I think a lot of the drivers were going through issues with that as well. Uh, and so, yeah, it's just, it's something that, that affects all of the, the supply chain, all of the different stations that someone could work at within the operations side, within the, the, the frontline worker side of Amazon. Um, and so, yeah, at the, the ALB1 facility in Albany that did catch fire, that was one of the ones that caught fire uh, in that same week, uh, voting has been taking place all weekend to determine if that facility will join their brothers and sisters downstate in becoming just the second unionized Amazon workplace in the country. That would be another yet historic uh, vote if they were to vote in favor of that. Um, and actually voting, I believe today is the last day of voting, so we will have information shortly as to how that turned out. Uh, and we'll probably discuss that in our next show. But uh, as expected, the company is up to their same dirty tricks again. Um, you know, this is just sort of their MO. But uh, human resources officials have been falsely telling pro-union workers there that they must uh, use their limited allotment of unpaid time off or be docked vacation time while serving as legal observers of that election. Um, but on the flip side, they the, the management is allowing uh, those employees who are observing on behalf of the company to do so while getting paid which, of course, is a, <laughs> a violation of federal labor law. Like, that's just very clear. Um, and the, uh, it has also been reported that Amazon's union-busting consultants have been hovering around workers, watching everything they, they're doing and making them nervous uh, that management will find out if they vote, in, you know, which way they vote. If they vote in favor of the organization, they might be punished for that. Uh, you know, so rather vote in favor of organizing and, and becoming a union that they might be punished for that or might be, might be some retaliation. Um, and this is just a cut and dry example of intimidation and harassment, which is also a very major violation of federal labor law. Um, and in fact, actually, one worker who has a disability got fed up with an anti-union consultant following him around and told, them, uh, told the, the consultant to leave him alone. And the next day, he was when he showed up for work. He was called into a meeting with management, and told that he was under you know non-specific investigation, and then was escorted from the building. And he is in fact still waiting to find out what the result of that is. Whether he'll be terminated, whether he'll be punished, you know what what, what exactly he's being charged with and investigating for investigating for. Um, and so yeah, like that's just another example of intimidation on the part of management through the, the means of using their, their anti-union consultants that they throw out on the floor um, to sort of, you know, chill the, vibe, chill the, the excitement for, for voting in general, but also for voting in favor of the union. Um, and the company has also reportedly been sending anti-union personnel into the voting tent uh, wearing bold vote no t-shirts and carrying other, you know, opposition paraphernalia. 
Um, and according to the National Labor Relations Act, it is uh, very illegal to display any signage supporting or opposing the union within the voting area. And so that is, you know, once again, another very cut and dry violation yeah. of the and, NLRA. Yeah, and you know, I think we talk about this a lot on the show, but ultimately, right, uh, if a company feels that it is not unsafe to kind of very blatantly break a lot of the laws that have been set over the last, you know, 100, 200 years around this sort of stuff, um, I think it really comes down to whether or not the kind of current residing president is willing to kind of push these forward. And I will say, you know, we've talked about on the show, there has been some aggressive moves um, by this administration and also the NLRB. So, we'll, you know, we'll have to wait and see if uh, some of these things are are kind of given the justice that they deserve. Because again, this is a lot of this stuff is pretty blatant uh, stepping into uh, illegal territory. Yeah, absolutely. And and yeah, as, as you're saying, like, you know, this administration has shown uh, a willingness to actually, you know, side with workers and to, you know, at the very least, uh, staff the NLRB or uh, the yeah the National Labor Relations Board with some more pro-worker uh, members mm-hmm. uh, to to sit in judgment of of what these companies do. But unfortunately, they've also been blocked from from filling out all these positions there, and so yeah. the, the board is is shorthanded. But they are in fact the ones that would be the you know taking on all these cases and 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 pursuing you know penalties against the companies that are violating these labor laws mm-hmm. and so at least at this point it does seem that they're you know for for the time being is a friend in the There's white hope. house yeah, yeah exactly exactly um and yeah so we will obviously see how that progresses but um you know amazon this is not the first time they violated these these labor laws and they are not the only company that is currently under a unionizing drive that is doing similar things to violate workers uh labor rights and, you know, we've talked a lot about Starbucks as well, and, and this is just another example of that. Um, and so, yeah, just quickly, like, you know, speaking uh, to the growing, you know, there was a worker at the, at, at the ALB1 facility who, in an interview, was just sort of discussing the overall uh, chilling effect that, that management has, has put out there and the, the growing distrust towards management and the company and, and, you know, things that are driving people to maybe vote for the union. Um, this worker, Heather Goodall, in the interview said, quote, Suddenly we've seen the warehouse completely flooded with operations managers from around the country uh, that will be gone the minute the election is over. And there are employee relations consultants and even HR managers. And they're claiming that they're here to talk about improving working conditions. So you can imagine it was a bit revealing that there were missing fire extinguishers on some of the pillars. How is that possible? If you're here to help us with working conditions and to understand our concerns, how are you walking around talking to workers, asking them about their feelings on the union, which they're not supposed to do, and you don't even see that we need fire extinguishers when a fire broke out? Uh, All of our concerns have fallen on deaf ears, so they've made it clear that they are not really here to, uh, they're not really here to help us. And I think that's a sentiment that pretty well captures sort of the the working experience within that company at a lot of the facilities um, and probably very specifically at the ones that have experienced these disasters very recently and not been treated with uh, the the care and the respect that they think they deserve. You know, workers want to feel like management cares about them still being able to live and work. So it doesn't seem like they're getting that from management at this point. 
And yeah, as just to wrap things up here, like all of this comes as Amazon workers in you know from North Carolina all the way to California are facing down company company retaliation for their organizing efforts. In fact, workers in California are currently uh, about to hold an election, and we will probably discuss this in our next episode. But uh, it, to unionize the first workplace here, or you know, on the West Coast in the state of California, so that's pretty exciting. Um, but obviously, all of this. Will, will impact how those workers feel about, you know, whether they should unionize or not. And uh, yeah, so hopefully those those workers uh, take the step and, and join their brothers in New York, brothers and sisters, but uh, we will see about that. Um, and yeah, again, as Elliot was saying moments ago, like all of this can be helped by the folks in Washington, D.C., putting you know more backing behind strong labor protections and labor laws most importantly the the in the waning days of of this Biden administration having a uh, you know who knows what happens in the midterms but if they have a majority in the Senate and the House which they do right now they could push to pass the pro act uh, this a thing we've discussed in the show many times but that would be the best thing to help workers and these organizing drives around the country so Call your, your congressman or senator and yeah. Yeah, and I think it's important to realize too, right, that a lot of these protections aren't actually going to help unions dominate these negotiations, right? It's really about letting them form, right, yes. in a natural environment. And so, you know, even, even right, for example, if in this situation, if everything was okay and the ALU was formed, it's not like they're going to win every single piece of the negotiation, yeah. right? And we talked about it on the show when there was the rail worker uh, almost strike that Biden had to step in, right? Like there are there are a lot of room. There's a lot of room for compromise, for meeting in the middle, right? For finding a path to both profitability that maybe isn't you know triple digit, but right. maybe something more reasonable in the double digit area. <laughs> and so again, I think people can misconstrue a lot of this as oh well, this will just have workers dominate all of these negotiations. I don't think anyone is under uh, that sort of assumption. Yeah. It's more about letting them form in a natural way. And I, I think this whole episode, right, Mike's done a great job of laying out why that's not being allowed to happen at these yeah. facilities. Yeah, I mean, I think you said it exactly. Like, this is not to create a, an advantage for workers, but rather just to slightly even the, the scales, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, again, you know, with that, we will pick this up uh, on next month's show. Uh, But thank you so much for tuning in to Labor Radio. I have been Michael Cathcart. And I'm Elliot Gilland. Have a wonderful evening. Hi, this is Judy Collins, and you're listening to KBOO.